This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Hello and welcome to Bingeworthy, a television podcast that cuts through the noise to talk about what bingeworthy series we watch and how we watch them so you can know exactly what's worth your time in this age of too much content. Hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo, and editor-in-chief of the playlist, Rodrigo Perez. Last week, uh, you caught Rodrigo and I indulging our inner nerd discussing, you know, the book of Boba Fett season one. This week, we're going to change gears completely and try to bring some eyeballs to a lesser known HBO Max gem. Painting with John. After our chat, the artist slash actor, musician, producer, writer himself, John Lurie, talks with Rodrigo about the show, which begins its second season on Friday, February 18th. But before we jump into that, I've got to tell you that Bingeworthy is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, Yellowstoners, The Discourse, and more. Can be heard on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and most places where podcasts are found. Follow us on iTunes and you'll get this podcast as well as our other shows regularly. Please be sure to subscribe and drop us a comment or rating as we greatly appreciate it. As always, thank you for listening. But before we jump into Painting with John and the interview with John Lurie, we have to touch on some TV news because there's been uh, some big announcements this week, particularly from Paramount's big announcements yesterday. uh, We're recording this on the 16th. Paramount really wants to get as many eyeballs over to Paramount Plus as possible. Their new streaming service that's really known as, you know, Taylor Sheridan's 1883 and Mayor of Kingstown Network at this point. But during their Investor Day presentation, they tried to pull a Disney and and throw it all on the table with multiple film and TV announcements. Obviously, a big series that's coming up uh, for them is a video game adaptation for Halo, which premieres in March. But they've already renewed that for season two. That was a big announcement yesterday, hoping, you know, I think they've got their fingers crossed that it's going to be a hit. They're pretty convinced or they're just moving forward blindly. Either way, there was a ton of other stuff like Sonic the Hedgehog uh, is getting a spinoff with Idris Elba's character Knuckles. That series is coming next year. They also have a Fatal Attraction series coming, a Grease prequel series, Rise of the Pink Ladies, uh, a few porting over from other networks like the the South Parks or Yellow Jackets from, you know, Comedy Central or Showtime. And, and there's more of those that are coming over. Plus, the obviously, the big flag that they planted was informally announcing as a unit five Taylor Sheridan series in the wake of their big hit 1883 launch including yet another Yellowstone spinoff, 1932. So if you thought Paramount Plus was Taylor Sheridan's big network before, just wait till the end of the year (laughs) throughout 2023 as well. Uh, Rodrigo, after that presentation, what's your outlook on Paramount Plus as a streaming service? Well, you know, this is what they do, right? They do the, they do the big flex and, and they put on these things to flex to their investors, but to also just to basically to everybody out there, the public, the media, like basically planting that flag and saying, 
Paramount Plus is going to be a streaming service you cannot ignore, right? (laughs) This is what they try and do. They try and dazzle and they just barrage. You know, we've seen it. We've seen it uh, a few times now. Disney Plus did it when I think it was December 2021 when they had their last big, you know, blast and they showed off all their Marvel, all their Lucasfilm, you know, taking all their big IP and just like, you know, doing the mad flex. And this is what they've done here, right? They mm-hmm. flex with the Taylor Sheridan verse, Yellowstone, and all this other stuff. 1932, Landman, Lioness, Tulsa King, Bass Reeves, all this stuff. Like, it just insane. I mean, we, we've talked about this on the Yellowstoners podcast. But, you know, by the time 2023 rolls around, it's potential that he's going to have 10 shows on television. I don't even know why Paramount would need anything else beyond <laughs> that. That's enough to sustain the entire year, but somehow they're doing all this other stuff, which is just showing the world of streaming that we're in that just, it's just nuts. And, and Showtime is 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 sort of connected to uh, Paramount now. They announced the season two of Super Pumped already, even though Super yep. Pumped one hasn't gone. Season seven of Billions. Yep. Again, like you mentioned, uh, season two of Halo already announced, even though season one hasn't gone on. They're doing a sexy beast show based on that sexy beast movie uh, from Jonathan <laughs> Glazer back from the, I think it was the early 2000s or yeah. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That movie's amazing. I, I don't know how that's supposed to be a series, but these days. As IP long is, as there's IP related. Yes, yeah, Exactly. Anything is like for, you know, for Disney, it's Marvel and Lucasfilm and Pixar, you know, mm-hmm. but what we're seeing now is everybody trying to create some sort of IP out of something. So it might, you know, Sexy Beast may not be gigantic IP, but it's something. It's something pre-existing that people know and people have watched. Yeah, it's something for a different quadrant than maybe the Halos or the Taylor Sheridan stuff. Right, and they're just going in on all their stuff. And so, you know, they also announced a lot of, like, basically Paramount, which owns MTV, Viacom CBS. I mean, it's all kind of the same, but like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different uh, uh, branches underneath it. Right. Um, one of them, one of the other things that they announced yesterday, which, which was, uh, you could call it the MTV umbrella was more South Park, more uh, Beavis and Butthead, including movies and shows. Yep. And Teen uh, Wolf, all and kinds Teen of Wolf, stuff. A Teen Wolf movie. So that's the sort of the, the, the MTV branch of things. There is the Paramount network, which is somehow different than Paramount. Uh, plus, uh, Paramount Plus is essentially at this point mostly ter- Taylor Sheridan and Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. so basically, they, so they they take every piece of all the stuff they have and they just like throw it at you. And they're and it's supposed to create buzz on Wall Street. It's supposed to get the shares to go up and ha- make their investors happy. But also, again, the bottom line sort of message for media and for the public is. Paramount Plus is a venue, is a, is, a, is a streaming service that you will not be able to ignore. You might not be watching us now, but after this, like, how can you ignore us after that? That's basically what they're trying to communicate. And I got to say, like, you know, I think they did a great, great job, like basically pushing out all their IP uh, in every kind of way. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is another one. Oh, yeah. You know, there's some that really that haven't migrated to television quite yet transformers is another thing that they own there's no there's transformers is, is looks like it's, it's going to be like it's still going to stay as a film franchise and there's still gi joe which they haven't done anything with or they tried last year and failed so then maybe they'll reboot that as television but yeah i mean they 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 really went at it and i think it was really impressive i i'm terrified because trying to cover all this stuff is insane 
and it's impossible to stay on top of all of it, but it's, uh, you know, they may not have the, the, you know, they don't own Marvel and they don't own Pixar and they don't own Luke Lucasfilm, but that's not the be all end all of everything. And, and for people who, who like some more adult stuff, they're certainly in that market. They're certainly doing a lot of it. One would argue that they're much, their portfolio is much more eclectic and, and broad and spread out. Whereas Disney plus is, you could argue is just a, is a kid's streaming show, right? Or for, young yeah, adults. it's the four quadrant streaming service. But not even, I mean, I don't, I don't, if you're, if you're a fan of Taylor Sheridan or super pumped or billions, what does Disney plus have to offer for you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, There's not like, a lot whereas, of adult drama. Whereas, you know, Paramount plus has Transformers, Star Trek, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They also have, they're, they're just, their portfolio is, is more uh, evened out and balanced. It, it sort of hits, it, it's, it's a more, a much more true four quadrant, you know? Yes. The, pro- the products themselves might not, you know, uh, Star Trek is not, star wars and transformers is not marvel but you know they're at least they, they've really uh uh they're really they're really going for it and, uh, and it is kind of impressive i mean i i think everything's going to be looking up for them in in the next couple of years especially sure. if if the launch of of a lot of these shows goes well especially halo halo is going to be a big one for them the offers coming out next month as well yeah. that one the that follows the godfather great. series uh man it's just a lot of stuff coming out on one network and then there's you know other networks that are vying for our attention too hbo starting to announce a bunch of stuff today i know peacemaker just got renewed for season two which isn't surprising as it's been doing fairly well according to them I seem to be the the only one at the playlist who thought season one was watchable and entertaining. Uh, we had a whole episode dedicated to it for the playlist podcast crew. Uh, feel free to check that out. But Rodrigo, I know you in particular were not a fan of of season one. So how do you feel knowing that it's been embraced so well in the fan community with the TikTok dancing and the buzz that it's generated in the fan community? Do you think it's warranted for a season two at this point? I know because I don't think it's good, but people <laughs> like it, but that's fine. But also like, you know, that community, to be fair, like a lot of these people aren't, you know, they just want to see their heroes kind of doing stuff. <laughs> they're not, yeah. they're not the most critically discerning about uh, that stuff. To me, it's a good indication that like, cause I don't think it's a great show by any stretch. And I really like Suicide Squad and, and it's not like I don't like superheroes and stuff like that. Like I, <laughs> I, I liked Suicide Squad a lot. I think that movie's great. And I also think that the Peacemaker character was the breakout of that, that, that movie. He was, was quite entertaining. Of, yes. But I don't think he works on his own. I, I think it's, it, it, the, he was the middle eight. He was that, you know, that special thing that you didn't get too much of, but when you put him as a star, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't work for me at all, but I think it, it's, it's optimistic for them or for anybody to just be like, just take any character, put it on television. It's going to do any superhero character and do it on television. And it's, and unless it's terrible, it's going to do halfway decent. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten a really pretty positive reception as far as I've been reading and, and a lot of fan sites like that really, really embracing it. So, I mean, obviously it, it makes sense for them to renew it if, if people are embracing it so much. But you, people are saying, well, James Gunn could be the Taylor Sheridan of HBO Max. <laughs> he could like set up because he's got a, he's got another uh, uh, Suicide Squad spinoff in the works. They haven't said what it is, but he's got another one in the works. And he's been in lots of discussions with HBO Max and he's about to end his run with Marvel after G- Guardians of the Galaxy 3. You know, people are already speculating that he could kind of like, go off and plant the flag and do for DC what Sheridan has done for 
his universe on Paramount Plus. Who knows? Um, yeah, just these weird but, genre shows. I'm hoping for Polka Dot Man, but you know, that's just me. Well, he is, you know, spoiler dead, but yeah, maybe, you never know. It's maybe, it's maybe superheroes. Maybe they can do a prequel. Yeah, either way, it's superheroes. So it wouldn't surprise. I mean, Peacemaker was dead at the end of True. Suicide Squad. So True. who knows? Uh, okay, well, let's keep it on the rails. Let's move over uh, to another HBO series, Painting with John. Now, since you're a bit more of an authority on Painting with John, I've seen about half of the first season. I believe you've seen all of seasons one and two. I kind of describe it as the anti-Bob Ross. It's this, <laughs> he's this weird, like, uh, I mean, he's he's done a, a bunch of different things. A lot of people know him for different reasons, yeah. uh, whether it's his kind of avant-garde jazz, you know, new wave kind of band, the Lounge Lizards, or the multiple indie movies he's popped up in over the years, or mm-hmm. just these different projects that he's produced, the Fishing with John series. Um, And now he's got Painting with John, which is this strange little amalgamation of so many different things. How do you describe it to people? Um, Well, if you know Fishing with John, that might be the best sort of uh, jumping off point because they are definitely not the same, but sort of spiritually connected in that, you know, Fishing with John was very much about John Lurie's personality, who he is, his sense of humor, the absurdness (laughs) to him. And, and Painting with John is sort of like an extension of that. I mean, it's obviously using the same kind of title format, but it, but it, uh, yeah. it's like anti-Bob Ross is almost a good way to put it. Season two starts to become, it's almost becoming like uh, this like stoner Sesame Street or, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, getting, it's getting really ambitious. It's getting more bizarre. It's really great. It's really funny. Has he continued to lose drones? Because I think he loses like six or seven over the course of the first season. <laughs> I, I think he gives up on drones. In this season. He basically, I don't think you see one. Uh, he basically gives up on drones and it's just him, but he, he um, it's a slightly odd show, but it's, I mean, I find it terrific. I think it, but yeah. I'm also like a, a, a kind of John Lurie aficionado. I've been following him, his career for a long, long time. You know, he, he popped up for me on the radar with, in the Jim Jarmusch films in the, in the nineties yeah. and, and even in the eighties uh, with stranger than paradise, you know, and his career has had so many twists and turns. He's been, he just came out with a book recently, which is fantastic. Um, which I highly recommend if you're a fan of, of, of John Lurie or any of his stuff or interested, I highly recommend it. It's really, really great. Um, you know, he's had a, a, as, as you mentioned, a very long, vast career in, jazz but avant-garde jazz and jazz that you know he's got he did an album under the the name marvin pontiac and he's, <laughs> he's he's recorded under many many different names and a lot of that stuff like marvin pontiac uh a lot of that stuff melds like jazz and like african stuff and he's just a real he's, he's an interesting a, dude and that's why all this works is he's a really yeah, interesting yeah. character he's, he's always just been he's an original he's yeah. a true original a true original in, in every sense of his of his art and it, and and then you know he got sick in i believe it's the late 90s through the 2000s he was sick for a long time he had multiple illnesses that really kind of messed him up where he wasn't able that's why he sort of he kind of dropped off the map for almost two decades mm-hmm. um, he, he had he had a lot of issues and and you know he recorded music sporadically but you know, even as we talk about in our conversation, he hasn't been able to play the saxophone, which was his main instrument in, in a long, long time. He basically was became too ill to do it. Like he just doesn't have the lung power for it anymore. Um, but he plays guitar and, you know, and then he started 
you know, once he started, it took him a long time, but once he started getting healthy, one of the things that he was able to do to find a creative outlet was to paint. And painting was like, he basically had this strange neurological illness that he, I, I believe he, even the way he's described is he's not really completely sure what it was and nobody was. And it was sort of hellish for him for a long time. But like, even just like the sound of music was, would hurt him. Like it would, it would just like physically hurt him. And so he had to find some sort of artistic outlet and he was always a painter. So he went back to painting and he, and he just started painting. And then he, he, he sort of found his new calling, I guess. And then as he got, more and more healthy and got back in better, better shape, you know, then he, then he started thinking about like all oh, this painting and because he would tell stories when he does it and all this stuff's really natural and organic. And he was doing stuff for fun on Instagram with this um, director, this young cinematographer, editor, and director that he's worked with. And basically it, 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 it started kind of expanding from that. And then it was interesting. I was like, like, who did you pitch this to? And he was like, he, he, it wasn't basically like people saw the stuff that they were doing on Instagram, which was kind of like a, the short form version of, of, of some of the things that you'll see on uh, painting with John and thought it was funny. And then someone connected him with Adam McKay and Adam McKay really liked it and reached out and was like, can I pitch this to HBO? And, <laughs> and Lurie was like, you want to pitch this to HBO? He also tells this hilarious story where he talked to his lawyer about it because he was like, uh, you know, so there's this guy, Adam McKay, and he's going to pitch the show to, to, to HBO. And he gave some of it to uh, his lawyer and his lawyer's like, dude, this is horrible. Nobody's ever going to watch this. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. And, and John was like, oh, OK, yeah, maybe I guess so. OK, well, never mind then. I guess it's not going to be a thing. But, you know, like. He, and here we he, are. Yeah, but he just didn't know <laughs> because he, he I guess he'd been away from it for so far for so long not making like film or television or anything like that. His instincts were sort of like, maybe not on about how he, he really felt about it. But then, he, you know, when other creatives and not people who were like a fucking lawyer <laughs> saw it, like Adam McKay and HBO and everybody was, yes, this is amazing. And it is, and it's really hilarious. It's really funny. It's very John Lurie, which is, is you just need to, if you don't know who he is, it, it might be, it might seem odd, but that's sort of the point, but he's just a, he's a, he's a real, he's a real person. He's very real. He's a very human and he's a great artist that is always looking for a purity of things. And in that there's so much humor and very dry absurdity, um, deadpan humor. He tells these great stories. He is the king of like punctuating something with like a look that will last forever (laughs) (laughs) or whatever it is he does. Sometimes he does this thing where he just like you expecting a punchline and then it doesn't come and then he just and then it cuts and it's like what (laughs) and then it's yeah then it's philosophical rants that he'll just go on right but he just talks about his whole life and a lot of his philosophical a lot of it is he's had a crazy life in terms of which is another thing him and i talked about he's got this interesting relationship with fame because he was so close to it all his life and it kind of ebbed and flowed in, in terms of taking over his life, but he was always, for the most part, outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was best friends with, he was very good friends and, and, and a big brother kind of mentor to Jean-Michel Basquiat. And he saw in real time, Jean-Michel Basquiat blow up. Like the, if you've ever wanted to see like what kind of, what like massive fame does and how it distorts and upends a person's life and, you know, someone who eventually dies from it. I don't want to say dies from it, but you know what I mean? Like John yeah. Michel Basquiat had a, had a bit of a crazy life. 
And Lurie was there for all of it. Like Jean-Michel Basque, when he was a nobody, would be sleeping on uh, Jean Lurie's floor uh, and then on his couch and, and, and lived with him. And Lurie was like this big brother mentor helping him out because he thought he was cool. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, Andy Warhol and the powers that be sort of anointed him. And John saw him took off. And some of that, a lot of that stuff's in the book, which is really great, really good stories. Um, he shares some of those stories in season two. He didn't in season one. He shared a lot of great stories in, in season one of just like hilarious things. There's that story about, um, God, it's all sort of blurring for me, but what's one of your favorite stories from season one? Oh, I, I mean, I was just really kind of centering in on all the diseases that he had. Like I only saw the first few episodes. <laughs> right, right. So yeah. it was just like all these different illnesses that he had. And I think cancer was one of them at one point too. And he was, yep. yeah. Yeah. Man, he's had, a, he's had a crazy, crazy life, um, but he's come out of it the other side. He's passed his illnesses. He's it's just, to me, painting with John is yeah. a very triumphant kind of comeback. It's full of life. It's full of humor. It's full of even melancholy. It's a kind of antidote to the horribleness of the world around us um, and everything that's horrible about it. And he sort of tries to bring a sense of joy to the madness that swirls around us all the time. But it's basically John painting. In the Caribbean. Yeah, in the Caribbean, painting stories. And season two gets a little bit wackier, crazier. Um, Oh, I was going to say like a... He would probably hate this, but it almost, it almost, it's almost like it's becoming like sort of Pee Wee's uh, Playhouse a little bit. But through, <laughs> you know, if John Lurie was doing it, um, it and it has these animated seg- segments now. Um, it has uh, he's really starting to include include his um, the the two uh, uh, people who lives in the, live with him, Nazreen, his longtime assistant, and uh, Marianne, who's another person who lives with him, and they're like part of the show they have like you know speaking roles they have like they're, they're, they do skits this stuff with westerns it's really it's really out there but i cannot recommend it enough so um i hope people check it out if they haven't checked it out before i just i just can't recommend it enough it's it's really great and and i hope people check out this conversation with john which i think ended up being quite long longer than it was supposed to be it was very generous with his time uh he's a very God, I don't even know how old he is now. He's approaching, I think he's in his 70s, but he's just got so much curiosity still. He's got so much empathy. He's not, you know, the crotchety old man who's like cancel culture, you know, like he's kind of Mm -hmm. the opposite of that, um, which is nice to see because we've seen so many of our heroes kind of go the wrong way and and, (laughs) and be perverted by the culture. He, He has not. Well, let's throw it over to the conversation with John Lurie. Uh, again, the second season of Painting with John starts this Friday, February 18th. Here we go. I just finished uh, catching up with season two of painting with John and it is delightful. Again, it is all of the stuff in season one, but it also pushes a lot of things forward. You're doing it's It's more ambitious. There's, there's a lot of, tell me all about that because it's, you know, there's animation, there's uh, it's, it's really great. The synchronized swimming thing was just sort of a joke. I said, you know, cause all I had to do is like, 
he just filmed my face for a second. Right. And then he had to, Eric had to do all the work where he had to, he had to build all the characters and take different synchronized swimming things and then putting all the pieces in. And I kept bugging him about it because he could, I'll do it. I'll do that at the end. He kept saying, and I, you're not going to do it, are you? You're never going to do it. So by the time we had, even if it had been horrible, we would have had to put it in by the time because I bugged him so much about it. The Cowboy Beckett thing was the first thing I, I thought of that I wanted to do because there was first thing I agree, it was just a little bit too much. He's sitting at the table talking. He's sitting at the table talking. It's like it starts to get you want to see something else, you know. So last season we had the elephant shit and we had we went to drive, drive for Rudolph, but wanted to make sure we had something to get. But then I thought I went too far, like because everybody's saying how oh soothing and meditative the show was. And now it's like it jumps from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. So I couldn't tell. But now I've done a couple of these interviews and everybody said, oh, you've kept the feeling of the show, with it, but you've gone a little further. So. It's funny, the the meditative quality, there are passages there where I'm like, you know, it's funny, we're like sort of like way post uh, Bob Ross in the conversation of the show, right? Like we're beyond that. But I'm reminded once again, the spiritual connection, which is maybe just the meditative quality, because when I'm watching it, I'm like, wow, this is really, this is really Zen. I mean, hopefully the painting, I mean, I got accused of hating Bob Ross, because uh, no. of the shit, but I absolutely, but, but that's nuts. I have a lot of respect for what he did and who he was, which, but that thing where he would talk like that weird kind of, that always kind of bugged me out a little bit. He's, right. but I don't think that's really how he sounded. He did that for the show because he was, he was a kind of a tough guy. He was like a Marine. He was a tough guy. Was he? he would, yeah. And, but he did that thing with the hair and that's a perm too. That's not his natural hair. So that shit he kind of put on for, I guess it worked because, you know, That's but right. <laughs> we all know who the, he is. But that would now just go into it. That, that kind of always bugged me. But I love what he did, the way he introduced painting to the world in that really nice way. I, I love what he did. Um, in, in that way, was it a sort of inspiration for your show? That and I guess, you know, the fishing with John, giving that it's, you know, the same, the same. Oh, as a jump off point. I mean, yeah. just as a jump off point, like the fishing, fishing with John off those fishing shows. It's just, it's just to give it a, a, a context, you know, but right. not much more. I guess I was, I was, I, I was I, you know, I would love it if they started selling uh, little dolls of me that where grass grew out of the top of my head. You know, you've seen the Chia Pet, Bob, that I would, I would feel like I'd become a success if I saw that, but I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but there's definitely some like spiritual connections to to fishing with John too, right? Like, like a little bit. I mean, I I that's how I felt. And I, there's even a, a music cue in in this season to a famous cue from Fishing with John. Yeah, and I think we took in season one too. We took something. Oh, was there one? No, no, it was this one. That thing where 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 we're hiding from Eric, where we said we don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. That music was also. Oh, where me and Dennis Hopper have been hypnotized by the giant squid. That's the, that's the same. I use that music again. But yeah, of course, I mean, it's me. It's all me. And it's me doing this kind of thing that's sort of held together with string. You know, it, it, it's pretty junky on purpose. You know, it's. I, I love that. that Like, you know, there's there's uh, Marvin Pontiac stuff. There's There's stuff from all of your eras. It's very much just like this 
John. We, brought, we, brought, we wrote a bunch of new stuff too. Yeah, I mean, we wrote yeah. the Cowboy Beckett. The, there's the guitar stuff, and then there's yeah. the banjo stuff, and then there's a couple of the kind of funk things. There's a whole bunch. There's a bunch of stuff. Yeah, for sure. And and it seems like a lot of. I mean, you you give a lot of time and space for musicians in this, both both visually and sonically and by by name. Yeah, it feels like. They always get hidden. I mean, especially the great musicians. It's like, how do you have great musicians play on something and then, you know, put their name on on the screen for a fraction of a hundredth of a second? You know, at the end, you know, it's like they should get they should be known. You know, if if it was like if it was 1945, they'd be household names like musicians who are that good. So, right. You know, is it true that that there were sort of vague plans for a fishing with John? like second or third season and then or, or yeah but that was it was so disappointing actually it was but after i wrote the book i got so accused of settling scores and and which i wasn't really doing but i was just saying what happened so if i say what happened with the season two of fishing with john they're gonna oh he's settling scores again so i but it was just ifc was gonna do more shows and then and i said you know I can't be on the season one. I did everything. I was the guy getting the bait. I was the guy, you know, doing the research of where the fish were. I was the guy doing everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's got to be a little easier for me this time. And and then Bernini was supposed to be the first guest. Who? Roberto Bernini. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and right. We were going to go to right. Italy and do it. And we were going to fish off a bridge because he's really afraid of the water. Right. And he was, you know, he he was he'd written a movie and he was about to start filming and you know he's incredibly busy. So he said, "Well, can you give me, you know, a week in October?" I forgot when it was exactly, but mm-hmm. he said, "I can do that." And I said, "Okay, the producer will contact you." And then it was sort of vaguely set to do it. And then Roberto calls me and says, "Nobody's called me, and I I have to I'm holding this time now for you for six months, and I I'm going to have to let it go unless." So I called the producer. I said, "Well." You know, they brought in this producer from IFC. And you got to call Roberto. I mean, we're going to lose him. And then I promise I'll do it this weekend. And then Roberto calls me on Tuesday. Says, nobody called me. I I had to let the time go. And so I called the producer and said, well, what happened? He said, well, John, it was Labor Day. Of course, I wasn't going to be working. I was just like, okay, this is not what I want. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you do something good. You work round the clock on it. You work on Labor Day. You work, I mean, to do something good, you drop everything else and you do it. You don't you don't take Labor Day off Labor Day of all things. I mean, it wasn't even like it was Christmas, but you know, but me and Eric, me and Eric Makas worked on Christmas for this. You know what I mean? Like oh for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, how much of this stuff is planned and scripted? And because it seems like maybe it's a mix of that, but it's also there's that, that playful sense where I, I gotta imagine you guys are just like making some of it up as you go like how, how does it work you got like some stories sort of planned out and some just sort of happened and then it's quick to you know to just turn everything on it's just like i'll just start talking like the makeup thing kind of just sort of happened <laughs> um and then you don't want to make them stale by rehearsing them too much right. but but also there's certain things in the timing of it, like the delivery of a line has to, after a paragraph, it has to come right. So, and we did a couple of stories where I forgot, oh, I forgot that line, you know, and then we'd have to go back and drop it in. Right. That never quite worked. It just always sort of took it up because the fucking tree frogs, right? <laughs> there's those tree frogs all, at night, all the time. 
Right. But you wouldn't know this unless you really start studying this. Those tree frogs change depending on how humid it is, how much it's rained, how dry it is, what time of year it is. They tr change drastically. So you can't match them, you know? <laughs> right. So even if we have a recording and you put, so you put a, a, a wall of tree frog sounds and then you talk over it, but then there's new tree frogs that are going to be there. So it takes, you know, suddenly you're talking along and it goes up squeak weeks da -da, da -da, and then they go, they're 10 times louder all of a sudden you can't match the room tone you, you follow what i'm saying so yes, yes, no. then you kind of get you kind of got to get most of the stories you got to get in, in in one take that's right yeah yeah i get that i remember that yeah and we went back and we went back towards the end and redid we redid the jean-michel story we redid another one. Oh, the bulgaria one there was a couple we redid at the end and they were much better than they were the first yeah. time, actually. Um, speaking of the Michelle, uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat story, which you, uh, I think you tell a version of that in, in the book. Your book um, has a lot of sim similar sort of uh, stories. Were you ever, because like, it sort of struck me when I saw it in the show, I was like, oh, wait, he hasn't talked about uh, Basquiat on this show yet, I don't think, right? So like- were No, you I had- Right. I didn't think so. So were you ever, because I know he was like such a sort of special person to you and, and you knew him like so intimately at a time when no one did at first. And were you ever like really protective about those stories at first and him and all that stuff? Well, more like I didn't, there's been such a thing with people, you know, writing books and doing movies and, and into, you know, like saying, you know, even the Julian thing, they, they weren't that close. So, right. It just I didn't and I didn't want to do the same thing as like glom onto your dead friend because he's he's gigantic now. I didn't want to do that. So I kind of shied away from it in the first, especially in the first season. It's like because you know, I'm telling I, there was one thing where I talk about Zach Galifianakis and Anthony Bourdain. It's like, well, I want to just be name dropping all over the place right. here. So but the Jean-Michel thing is kind of a conundrum for me. It was Right. I agreed to talk to these people from the Barbican about because they were having this big show. It's like, well, you should talk to somebody who knew him, you know, not all these experts. And right. and then that that went really sour. And then, you know, I don't know what to do. And then people, you tell the truth and been, everything's been changed so much. It's like, oh, he's not telling the truth. It's like, no, I was actually there. You weren't <laughs> there. You right. know, like. Well, you must have over time given your you know, you've, you've been through so many of these moments and scenes and, you know, you were there for Joey Ramone and this and that. You, you saw all this stuff happen. You probably have, I, I suppose, witnessed sort of stories turn into legend that were, weren't maybe all that remarkable or things like that, right? Yeah, but not, I mean, you would never expect it. You know, you'd never expect, you know, when Sean Michelle was sleeping on my floor, I wasn't thinking one day, you know, they're going to sell this stuff for a hundred million dollars. Yeah. I would have I would have cleaned up more carefully because <laughs> I used to just scream at him for using my paper and, and my oil pastels. Okay, they're expensive, you know, like, you know, he'd be using my, he was compelled to do it. He had that thing, you know, uh, he just, he had to be doing it. And, and I would scream at him for using up my oil pastels, but he wouldn't think, well, one day that will be worth a hundred million dollars. <laughs> but Jean Michel, I mean, he became a legend, legend. Yeah. So that's, what do you think about Steve Kramer? Richard Morrison, who were also amazing and are unknown. They're basically mm -hmm. unknown. There may be a little, Kramer's known a little bit for music, but not, you know, in 1979, the three of them, it'd be like, you and the guest that Jean-Michel would be the one 
to, to go that far. And he, you know, he got kind of like nurtured too, but, you know, they came along and said, all right, young man, we're going to really catapult you, you know, and so, which did him good and harm, you know, both, yeah. So, so much of your, it's funny, well, I, I guess to that end, like, you know, people always say that, you know, or I don't, I don't know if they say that, but you were saying that people say your name drops. <laughs> but to me, it's more that you have this interesting relationship with fame and you've been able to witness it and dip in and get very close to it and then see it warp and have a really interesting relationship to fame in a way that most people don't. Would you say that's fair? And that kind of, that's why there's so many of those stories come up, right? I mean, a lot of people have that, but they're still in it so that they, I think I can talk about it from a more objective thing because I've stepped away from it and I'm not that interested. You know, I, I want to protect myself from it. And so, but I watched the harm it did to Anthony Bourdain, to Jean-Michel Basquiat, to, to lots of people, it hurt them. And, and the ones who kept their soul in it, some just lost their soul and became what Hollywood wanted them to be or what, whatever. But the ones who kept their soul, it hurt that, you know, you just watch them be pushed by this thing. And I mean, a flea is remarkable because right. he's just yeah. flea. He's just he's this delightful spirit. Right. He's retained that purity, right? Yeah. Or maybe regained it. Sometimes you have to regain it because like I lost my balance with that. You know, I, you know, it's like suddenly I'm the coolest guy in New York and, you know, it, you sort of stop your development because you just hide behind that shit and you don't want that. But well, I've been around a long time, too. You know, I've been around a while. Right. Did you have any specific, do you, do you have going forward, like a specific aim with this show in terms of like what you're trying to like, did you like, how did you pitch it, for example, in terms of like. Well, I didn't pitch it. That was what, the, that was the nice thing about it. With actually both of my TV shows, they were both accidents. Oh, people, right. Cable came, came to you, right? Yeah. Well, it was like me and. You know, me and Nezrin were fooling around and we filmed it and she wanted to just get more Instagram follow. Nezrin runs the Instagram page. So right. <laughs> so she wanted to just have us doing these things. And I didn't really want somebody filming me painting, but I was doing this technique and we started teasing each other and it was funny. And so she wanted to put that on Instagram. So, well, let's have Eric Makas, who'd done a couple other things and sent them. Let's have him come. And just shoot these and, you know, but then he was really good at everything. So it started to grow and grow and grow. And then I did a, a podcast with Matt Dwyer and sent him 20 minutes of what we were working on. We didn't know what it was yet or if it was going to ever be anything. And he said, can I show this to Adam McKay? Oh, right. I listened to that podcast. Yeah. He was the one yeah. who linked you up yeah. with Adam. Yeah. Right. And then Adam said, do you mind if I send this to HBO? And I didn't know. See, everybody knows who Adam McKay is, but I didn't know. <laughs> and that, and so who is can I trust this guy who is he you know and but Evan had worked with him on Saturday Night Live and Bashemi knew him so right. he said no he's a great guy you can trust him so he right. sends it off to HBO and they oh they want it and we're just like what <laughs> because also I'd hired this lawyer to maybe see what what they could do with it and they said nobody's gonna want this and they and they convinced me that it sucked and it was boring and indulgent and nobody was going to ever and okay and like that day so this lawyer i'd hired to to sell it had convinced me that you know maybe it can go to some unheard of website but nobody's <laughs> going to want this and then adam mckay called a half an hour and i believed her i believed her that it sucked that it was what and then adam mckay said hbo wants it <laughs> and it was like really and i turned to nezra and I said hbo and nezra you kind of like had to pull her down off the ceiling she was so excited but i was just kind of baffled 
And then we had to pull it all together. Like then it's like, okay, we got all this footage of a, you know, of us fooling around. We had to pull it together and make a show out of it. And I think it totally works. It's so, I mean, the way you guys put it together, it's so, it's so delightful. Um, it's so you. Um, it's It's got so much of the absurd. There's, you know, you obviously have an appreciation for the profundity of life and all the good and bad of it. Yeah, I, I think it's terrific. I love the way that you, you brought in Nezrin. And uh, is her name, Mary? is it Marianne? Marianne. Yeah, but it's I all love- one word. It's all one word. It's not oh. like how we do Marianne. It's right. really Marianne. Marianne. Uh, I, I love how you incorporated the two of them more into the show. And, and tell but they're actually, that. it's a kind of a shame because they're, they're now incorporated in the skits. You know, like there's the Emery cooking the weapon potatoes and there's right. and there's the Cowboy Beckett's and there's a few other things, but they're all kind of planned. And the stuff that normally happens around the house did not happen as much as it. And I'm really sorry that it didn't, because that would have been the best. But kind of like we're on a schedule now. We've got to shoot. The, 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 so we're, you know, so the stuff of like the little in-between stuff in the kitchen, it didn't really happen as much. And I, and that was like, well, then towards the end, it was like, well, we don't have enough of just the three of us. So we went and sat down, sat down on the porch and it was just like, tried to have a conversation. And it was like, oh my God, it was awful. It was just so, um, so, uh, and plus Emery was just groping desperately for things to say. Like, it was almost like she was interviewing me like a bad interviewer. It was just terrible. We couldn't use it. I, I love the <laughs> the episode that ends with you guys with the hats and you're like, <laughs> this great HBO. <laughs> um, it's, it's gotten a lot meta too now that you have a second season where you're referencing it, itself. Is that- yeah, but is that, I mean, but I don't know. Could, is that, I mean, you're referencing stuff on the first season, but then I thought if you haven't seen the first season, it's kind of weird for me to assume it, right? Not necessarily. I mean, I don't know. It's just interesting how that, like, it's this living, breathing thing. And of course, you've shot a season one, so that becomes a part yeah. of this living, breathing. Well, it's thing. also become part of my life now. So my life changed because of, you know, but some some article, somebody wrote a review and they said, you won't have previously on Painting with John because it wouldn't make any sense on this show. And then I thought, well, we have to have review. So I think what we'll, if we do another season, we'll do previously on painting with John and then just create some bizarre ridiculous scenario that will never come back to that again you know grandma has fallen down the well what do we do and then the titles will start you know (laughs) it almost reminds me of which is interesting like it's it's almost like a strange like a hip-hop thing you know how hip-hop used to call back to like in their songs used to call back to like their previous hits and they were kind of one of the first people to do that before the songs were even hits it, yeah. kind of, it reminds me of that, like in 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 uh, you know, like the Bronx kind of hip hop that probably would have influenced you is like calling back to this this moment, which is maybe not like a huge cultural hit, but it's like a, a thing for you guys because it's part of your life. But, but, but that's kind of like you know, you have a band and you know you sell five hundred copies and you think like I'm all that, so you refer to that on your. So <laughs> maybe I'm doing that, you know, like I'm just assuming everybody's seen season one. But I it's wonder weird. how that works, actually. I mean, do they, people who haven't seen, I wonder what the audience will be like. Will it be new people or will it be the fan thing will expand? I don't know how, how, how that will play out. And there's no way to really figure it out. With, and there's with, no way to know. You just got to yeah. keep on doing what you're doing and, it, and it's working. I do love how the book, your music, your 
your your comedy it all just sort of not even just comedy but your the the acting filmmaking it all just breathes together into this sort of amorphous thing that's just you <laughs> um but you know where you it seems like you know and through reading the book and stuff like that it seems like the music and the and the acting thing was always like or the filmmaking thing was a bit of a push and pull was is that is that fair to say they didn't conflict but when we start the band started around 85 86 the band mm-hmm. started to do the musicianship was at a level that was really strong and yeah. the and the and we were going into mu- new musical territory we were creating a new thing that hadn't existed before and I, my, my my favorite thing was lester bang said staking out new territory west of mingus east of bernard herman which like that was like you know that was oh, that was like the best compliment you could give me wow and yet we go and play places and we would blow the roof off the place. And then the journalists would come in the dressing room afterwards and say, so uh, are you have any more acting things uh, scheduled? And right. uh, what's Jim Jarmusch up to? And I was just like, did you just see? I mean, it was also, it was a band. It wasn't John Lurie in the land. You know, it was like, it was a band. You know, it was like all great musicians. It was like, a, I was trying to, I had played it when doing the Last Temptation of Christ, had played with these Ganawa guys in Morocco. And it's like what they had, they were playing music for the absolute perfect reason. They were a tribe that played music together. And what I really wanted was a tribe that played music together. So it wasn't like John Lurie, you know, and so I wanted it to be like a tribe that played music for the absolute right reason. But then, you know, you'd arrive in a town and there'd be, even though it was in the contract that they couldn't do this, my face on the poster, John Lurie from the movie and his band, the Lounge Lizards. And it was just like, it's just, you know, and the guys didn't mind really, but you know, it kind of wrecked the the movies. Just got too much attention, and it, it kind of I resented it. You know, right. I, I resent I mean, I being in movies. <laughs> yeah, ahead. no, no. I I think that's sort of the theme of your career in many ways. Is that this? It's really in the book too. You feel it. Just this relentless pursuit of purity. But then, what happens when purity becomes out there, and it has to face the forces of all that stuff out there that Warps it. It's more like getting the purity out there and and all the things you got to like, and okay, am I willing to make this compromise to get right. that out there? You know, do I cut the cello solo out? Because that's what the record company, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's like, which battle are you going to pick? The, then once you're battling the purity also, it's like you become a warrior to get the thing out and keep it protected. You're more of a fighter than a soul. I don't know what the word is, soul something. Right. You know, so Virtuous. then you go into battle mode instead of the purity mode. And 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 painting came from like a real pure place from you too, because it was like post illness, right? I'd always been painting, but not seriously. And then I got sick and was stuck at home mm-hmm. and was just painting for no reason at all. And they started to get better and better. And then it was like, oh, painting could be what music was. And that took about a year before that happened. And then mm-hmm. and they're like, ah, oh, nah, maybe not. And then. And then it just, it's, yeah, and then it became what music was. It, I mean, you never have that thing where you're playing with nine people on stage and you're floating off the ground and you've got goosebumps and you love everybody. You, you don't get that, but you get a more consistent satisfaction from it because you're in control of all, you know, the amplifier is not broken and, and the piano's not tuned to 446 and, the, you know, it, it, you can control things more. 
you know. Right, but it like it was fulfilling your creative itch, right? Because there was one point I think where you couldn't play certain instruments and stuff, right? I couldn't play for years and years. I still can't play the saxophone, but I couldn't play. I couldn't even listen. I mean, whatever had happened to my neurological system, mm -hmm. whatever makes it pleasant for a normal person to listen to music, mm -hmm. it, it, it became hell. It was like music hurt me, not just my ears, but what it would do, it would just be like, Wow. Well, thank God that's over. Um, yeah, that was you, awful. Yeah. Do you have plans like concrete or vague for, for what you might do with season three or beyond? Something like a, a failure groove kind of thing and record the whole thing and then play it to me in headphones while I tell the story so that the stories will actually come in the rhythm you know like mm. so i'm going to paint a cow a cow and another cow and a chair a cow a cow you know and and just have the whole show be hooked up to this piece of music that runs throughout the whole thing so you won't hear i won't hear you know it won't be in the room because then you know you have all these technical problems but if i'm just hearing it in the headphones and then we sync it back up right it, I mean, it would be like a little opera almost or something. I, I don't know if we can pull it off, but I think we could. That sounds very uh, conceptual, John Lurie. That, that's really great. I'd, I'd love to see that happen. I, ho I hope it does work. It, it's it just, could be. Even as a one-off episode, that's just like a little piece of art. That's really... Um... Yeah, I mean, it could be like the small car thing I was really pleased with um, in, in episode five. Yeah. I thought that came out really good. We did that for Nezrin because that song was a big deal to her. So we, but that was a lot of work, and poor Eric had to do so much work to, you know, make the animation of it. And and Eric, for listeners, Eric is is your uh, cinematographer and editor who who shoots. He's way show. more than that, though. I mean, he really does everything. I mean, right? He's he's the gaffer, sound man. You know, I mean, he's the he, whiz kid he, wonder, right? Yeah, he really can do everything, and. Uh, just it's just me him and Nezrin really and we had a lot of help I mean Todd Shulman and Helen Chow helped us you know put it together but basically it's just me and Eric really doing the nuts and bolts of the thing and and my health isn't good so he kind of carried me through a bunch of it too you know we had one real problem I don't know how we're going to get around it but so from the radio I had radiation and and then there's all this scar tissue in my throat mm. so when I when I talk, when I'm looking down, I start to sound like Dr. Fauci. And, um, but I can make it go away if I concentrate on it. Mm. But if you're trying to tell the story, right. you don't want to be concentrating on, because then I'm going to come off like some newscaster. So, and so we, we looped a bunch of the stories. Did you notice that? Did you notice that? I, I do someone? love the way that you play with, with your voice and the like, the, you know, you're almost doing. Yeah, but wait, time out. Did you notice that any of the stories were looped? Um, cool. That's good. That's good enough of an answer. A bunch of the stories are looped and we're, we, me and Eric can't tell anymore because we've seen them a thousand times and we can't tell. We hear it immediately, you know, like the difference in the tree frogs, you know, right. and or whatever. Right. You would. And um, that, yeah. We couldn't tell if it's only care even if you hear oh that line sounded different than the line before does it take you out of the experience or not that's the big thing you know no yeah no it's it's uh it's such a great show and I love the way you you mix in sort of the best and and of you whether it's new or old and and it's just like this ongoing history of of John Lurie art in in the way um. Are you are you ever playing on on Are you playing on? I mean, you record music, obviously, but you ever record playing on doing another album? 
the bridge snapped on my guitar mm. and I don't have my good guitar anymore. It's like a hundred dollar guitar. So can you fix it? Well, no, we won't. You have to buy a new one that will cost more to fix. It. I said, I don't care. No, 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 we won't do it. So now I got to go out and buy a new guitar and I can't decide if I want to buy a $200 guitar or really get a really nice guitar, mm. you know, cause I'm kind of craving writing music and, um, Doing it on the keyboard, doesn't, I don't play well enough that it satisfies me. So I got to go out and buy a guitar, which I don't I don't want to go into a music store and try out guitars. You want that old $100 thing that had a certain special quality to it. It's kind of messed up, but it's kind of beautiful, right? It's well, like- that's what I, yeah, that's what I want. Or a really nice, but I don't know then. If I buy a really fancy old Les Paul or... Oh, hollow body or but do I, which way do I want to go then which right. you know I haven't decided that but I really don't want to go into a music store and be trying out guitars you want to go to like a pawn shop or you want to yeah, go yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. A, or like Actually, find someone's oh. garage sale right like once 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 I walked into Manny's this must be 40 years ago I walked into Manny's you know the music store on 48th street for those yeah. who don't know and Leslie West was trying out amplifiers you know leslie west from mountain yeah. and it was just like it was the loudest fucking thing you ever heard <laughs> it was just unbelievable so maybe i'll do it like that i'd like i'd like to, i'd like to buy a guitar but i'd like to try it out with a stack of marshall amplifiers right <laughs> right um so you run this whole thing by yourself yeah yeah that's too much no it is too much man and also now like with now we like, you know, there's so much good television, right? Like your show, everything is like, it's not just movies anymore. It's for the last few years, it's been television, 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 because the, the, all the great filmmakers have, have moved to television and there's so much good stuff being done on television. So yeah, it's a, uh... have you seen this thing? 1883. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really liking it. Am I, I seem to be the only one. No, it's, it's pretty good. It's the Yellowstone spinoff thing. I haven't seen Yellowstone. Is oh, it's is, 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 is better. Uh, I like Yellowstone better, but I think you would like this one better. I, I'm liking it quite a bit. Yeah, it's the, the grandparents of, of, of the characters. Um, let, let's wrap up on the record in a good way. Uh, uh, <laughs> God, that's funny. You're putting all this pressure on me. <laughs> it's really this weird thing where it's like, you know, you read these things like, and how John Laurie has it all figured out and he's got so much wisdom and then it's just like, I do? I don't have a fucking clue what's going on. I mean, that- <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's that, you know, in, in, in at your age to be able to, to be, you know, like I still feel like what, what I love about your stuff in general is that like you could be thinking about one of the most dark, uh, depressing, messed up things, but you'll still have like some sort of sense of humor about it you always got like a like you can always put an absurd like period on the end of things and uh where where does that come from that 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 i don't know just seeing the the absurdity Uh, and i mean if you look at life and the realness of life it's really harsh and then you got to have a humor at all you got you got i mean i'm having trouble with the world like i had i had I go in in and out of these phases where I have to stop reading the news because if I start being really aware of what's going on in Yemen or with the Uyghurs or I, I just, I can't function, you know? And so I had to kind of back away from, I mean, I can't make jokes about that. You know what I mean? Like, sure. well, it just comes from being around long enough, to, you know, 
Life is fucking hard. And horrible things happen to people. Right. Horrible things happen to almost everybody. That's the other, you know. Well, you know, the, I guess the other thing that strikes me is that it's like, you know, a lot of people age out and they become grumpy or they become Joe Rogan or whatever it is. But you always had this sense of empathy that has been current and relevant at all times. Like you, you know, whether it's been in vogue or not, that's been another running theme. Like you're, maybe that's the things that make you up is like absurdity, but empathy. And good. And, that's a nice thing to say. And I, I don't know how you can see that, but I, I hope that's true. Yeah, I, I feel it. I feel it in everything. And, and even just like in some of the, the stories that you tell and the stuff like, you know, like, you know, like there's other basically what I'm almost trying to say in a parallel universe, not you, but like there's a lot of guys your age, artists of your age that have turned, they've forgotten about who they were at a certain time in that sense of empathy. And now they become like, I don't want to just say like, you know, old people become Republicans because that's so reductive. But you know what I mean? Like you, but they do less now. I mean, old people become Republicans less than they did 20 years ago, you know? Yeah, I mean, but that's partly just like, you get older, you know all the shit that can go wrong. So you just want things to be safer. Right. And that was kind of the Republican thing at one time. No, we don't want these new things to happen. We want safety. But then it all became, you know, after Trump, it just becoming a Republican was became something else. But... True. Like you have to own a truck that you can block the border with. If you, you know, like, but um, I don't know. You just try to. I mean, having empathy is one of the most important things to me, uh, and being in the moment is an important thing. And you saw, watch all these mobs start on on the internet and stuff like, like the Joe Rogan thing. Like I never heard Joe Rogan. All these people are saying, you know, take your music off Spotify. Have they even heard Joe Rogan? Well, I, I, you know, I, I want Joe Rogan off the, you know, it's just like the Chappelle it happened with. I mean, it's just these mobs form. I don't want to be on the wrong side of one of those mobs. I got to say. <laughs> Things do get a little bit out of hand. Um, I should probably let you go because I think we've been right. longer yeah. than, than the. Than it's the, nice to see your face. A lot of, yes, but very nice to talk to you. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again. Uh, hopefully there's a season three or whatever it is. And we'll make sure that we we, we do it again. Um, just so you know, I, I'm open and, and for every little thing, let, let, let's chat. <laughs> All right. I think it's important to move a little bit every day. Even if you're tired, or old, or sick, move a little bit. Go in the other room and dance while nobody's watching for three minutes. Just three minutes. And then after a few days, your body will crave it. It will be something you're dying to do. I built this platform so I would have a place to dance. Dance like nobody is watching if you have a show on HBO, dance like nobody's watching.